Bibles, will you join me in the book of Colossians this morning? Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, if you recall from last week as we were finishing up Colossians chapter 2, we saw that Paul was addressing the, this little church and concerning these false teachers. They're trying to infiltrate their way in with their false teachings into the church and, and they had all these lies and deceptions. Um, uh, the Bible said that they had lost connection with the head, however, which is Christ. So when you lose connection with Jesus, you can go all sorts of crazy. Religious people who are not connected to Christ, that's a dangerous thing. And that's what's happening here. And these guys were uh, talking about all kinds of interesting things like uh, the worship of angels. Hmm. And the, you know, trying to spread that around in the church. It's crazy, right? And uh, they talked about these these uh, visions and these angelic encounters that they're having. And, and they probably look like these spiritually elite people there in the congregation. But really, they were uh, deceived. They weren't even connected to Christ. And we, we talked about that and how our world, secular and even in the church, get all kinds of weird about angels sometimes and unbiblical thoughts and practices. And we, we just discussed some of that. We just want to make sure that all our experiences and other people's experiences and everything is filtered through the Word of God. That's how we know it's true, by filtering it through what the Bible has to say. And uh, that's why Paul is writing to this church. He's giving them the New Testament saying, hey, this is how God wants you to live. Don't fall for these lies and deceptions of these these guys worshiping angels and all their false humility and all kinds of laws and regulations that they're trying to uh, put on the people. Well, this morning in chapter 3, we're going to look at our hearts and our minds and where they need to rest as Christians as we go through this life. So if you'll stand with me out of reverence for God's word this morning, and we'll read Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now I commend to you the memorization of these four little verses. It might have been five or six years ago, uh, we had a little family getaway, we were in Fort Bragg, and I went out for a little jog that morning, and I, I wrote down these four passages on a little piece of paper and stuck them in my pocket. And I was doing my jog, and I walked along the, uh, the ocean early in the morning, there was not a soul around, and I began to, to go over these and try to commit them to my mind and commit these verses to memory. And I was so blessed, and this passage has always blessed me, although I have to say this week, uh, my brain is weak, and I went, and I thought, oh, I know this verse, and then I was like, oh, I tried to memorize, uh, wait, uh, it, I couldn't quite get it all out perfect, but I went over it a couple times, and it all came back, right? So you have to keep at it. But anyway, even if you try to memorize something, and you totally, like, two years later, you're like, oh, I don't remember that, you spent time in the Word of God, and that's what's valuable. That's what's valuable. Plus, it's there. It, it'll come back. But I commend to you the memorization of these verses because you're going to be blessed. I mean, because it, it's talking about some awesome stuff, how after our hearts and minds are set up there in heaven and not on earthly things, and the return of Jesus, and how he died to sin and live for God. I mean, really, really wonderful, wonderful stuff you want to memorize. So maybe around the, uh, the family to memorize it with the children at the end of the night, or privately, or whatever you want to do. Now, I know sometimes the pastor might say these things, and you're like, that's a great idea. And then you're like, but I'm not really going to do it. 
Or you maybe think you're going to do it, but you never really do it. But what if you did? What if you, I mean, I don't want to speak words out here for no reason. What if you actually did? Maybe let me know. Send me a text. You're working on that verse. Something. I don't know. I would be greatly encouraged that somebody decided to do that. But you'll be blessed. No, no doubt about it. Verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Oh, that's cool, huh? That's good stuff. Talks about how we're raised with Christ. The Apostle Paul was reminding the church here in Colossae that Jesus has raised them from death, spiritual death to life. Hmm. We were all spiritually dead before Jesus. Remember, we've, we've talked about this, that we're like that, that corpse on the slab. We were dead spiritually, separated from God. We had no spiritual life. We could not love nor obey God. We were dead, lost in our sins until the grace of God came into our lives. Hmm. And begin to awaken the soul, and we could see Jesus in our sin. And if we said yes to Christ, then we were raised up into new life, from that death into new life with Jesus. Just back up in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave us <laughs> all our sins. Yeah, new life with Jesus, forgiven of all our sins. Now then, if we've been raised from death to life, how then should we live? Where should our affections, the affections of our heart, where should they be set? Where should the intention of the mind, right, or the attention of the mind, rather, where should that be set? If we've been raised with Christ. Well, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, verse 2, on things above, not on earthly things. Well, thank you, Lord. God has a plan for your heart and your mind and how it is supposed to rest upon Him. And I just think all of this makes such beautiful sense. It's just logic. If Christ has raised us up with him and brought us into new life and washed all our sins away, then it only makes sense that all our hearts and all our minds and all our attention should be focused on Jesus, right? <laughs> Not on the lower earthly sinful things of this world. No, we're supposed to die to that. So this is the plan that God has for us. Verse 4 does mention, When Christ who is your life, <laughs> that Jesus is your life, Right? All of life is to be focused upon Christ because he has done so much for us. If the heart is supposed to be in heaven, we think of the heart as the seat of our affections and desires. Okay? What we really love and what we really want is in the heart. And that heart is supposed to be in heaven. A heart that desires Christ above all things. That's far above this sinful, broken world. That's what it's talking about. Where is your heart today? It's easy to get your heart down on earthly things, but it's supposed to be with Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hmm. So your heart is where you, what, with what you really value, your great affections and your desires, your treasure. So Jesus 
is to be our treasure above all other treasures. Hmm? The heart's desire, our affection. So we've got to get our hearts out of this world and into heaven. Now, after Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, 40 days, right, he appeared to his apostles. And, and then what did he do? He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. The right hand, that's a special place. It's a place of power and authority. And the Father invited Jesus to come up and sit with him. Psalm 110, that one for your notes. He says, stay here until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Jesus is waiting until one day God puts everything in perfect order and his enemies will now be underneath the feet of Christ. Then Jesus will return and he will judge and he will rule and he will reign. We're waiting for that day. But where is your heart today? Where are your affections and your desires? Where is your treasure? Are you focusing on the things of this world or the things of heaven? Verse 2 says, set your mind, your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The mind and the heart are quite connected. For what we really love in the heart is what the mind spends time thinking about, right? Hmm. It kind of tells us where our heart is. If our mind is always over here, well, maybe my heart's a little bit over here, and it shouldn't be. But the mind, remember, it directs everything. Everything starts in the mind, remember? Sin, before that adulterous act goes out, oh, it's all right here, lust and thinking in the mind, before it comes out. Same with holiness, though. Before I do a good and righteous uh, deed for God, it all begins here. Like, I need to do that. I'm, the Bible says I'm going to do it. Okay, let's do it, right? Everything begins in the mind and is maintained, actually, in the mind as well. Sort of set our minds not on the earthly sinful things, but on the things of God. It all begins in the mind. Now, we're talking about the earthly things, mostly the sinful things uh, of the earth. Let's go to verse 5. We'll get to this next week. But put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So the earthly things is this sinful earthly nature, the sexual immorality, impurity, lust, greed, evil desires, and goes on and on. We'll tackle all that next week. So, oh, man, I'm not coming to church next week. Shouldn't have let that one out of the bag. So we're mostly talking about the sinful earthly things, but not completely. Because even the good blessings from God that we have upon the earth, we cannot set our hearts and our minds on those things too much, right? Because otherwise they become an idol to us. We focus on the giver of those things and really desire him, but enjoy the gift that he does give. So there's a balance there. But mostly, again, the sinful earthly things we're talking about. But if I focus on the sinful earthly things, then I will be sinful. But if I focus on the things of heaven, I will be righteous. Because the mind will direct all of that. So we've got to get our minds out of the mud, out of the dirt of this world and into heaven. Remember, uh, before Jesus forgave our sins, and raised us to life. Our hearts and minds were fixed on this world, weren't they? Before we knew Jesus, we had no capacity to think of God in, in the right relationship and, and to know him and to love him and to obey him. There might have been thoughts about God, but it wasn't a true loving relationship. So all we could do is think about this world 
not on Christ. How I might please myself. It was all about me. How I might advance my own cause. Hmm. Life was all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity of self. Hmm. Interesting. But that never satisfies. It never satisfies. People keep chasing, but it doesn't work. Because if it's all about me and my desires and my thing, I'll never find peace. Okay, we'll never find rest for our souls in this world. So stop looking. Sometimes, even as Christians, we keep looking in the world, thinking something's going to bring greater satisfaction. It is not going to. You're just wasting your time. Rest will come only through Jesus. So press into Him. If you're not feeling the rest that you think you need to be having, press deeper and deeper into Christ. Get your, your mind way up there in heaven. Because this world is broken. Our sin broke it. And true life and rest and peace will not be found here. In fact, what's really found here is death, actually. Death. And that's why God sent His beloved Son, Jesus. Right, Blessed Jesus. Because <laughs> all we had was death. And Christ came to give His life. But He didn't come from this world, did He? He came from heaven, where life is, to earth. Because He knew nothing in this world would do it. On the cross, Jesus died the death that this world will bring. He died the death that this world will bring. And the death that this world brings is eternal death in hell and separation from God forever and ever. And Jesus took that death on the cross for us. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took eternity in hell upon his own flesh and blood and his own soul in that moment somehow at the cross. He took the wrath of God. He took our punishment so we could go free, so we could be saved. Praise his name forever and ever. Eh? What a mighty God we serve. What a Savior. What a Savior. We can never stray from that. What Christ has done for us, that's why we're taking communion and God gave, or Jesus gave it to us to do it in remembrance of him. But then we gave our lives to Christ and he raised us up in a new life. And therefore we set our minds and our hearts on things above. When you read your Bibles, you're saying, I want to learn to set my mind on something way up in heaven named Jesus, right? When you try to memorize four little passages throughout this week, because the pastor kept telling you to do it. The reason you want to do it is because you're trying to set your heart on something in heaven. God, right? To get your mind off of this world and this, the sinful things. So learning what the Bible has to say, indeed, is a great way to put our minds in heaven, our hearts in heaven. Right up there with Jesus, who's sitting next to the Father. But then we've got to pray. Prayer is such a key. 
Boy, you want to get your heart up there and your mind in heaven, you got to learn how to pray. You learn the word, you learn the truth, and you pray that truth into your heart and life, and then you spend your days walking with Jesus in prayer, connected to him in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day. You can always be up there in heaven in mind and heart when you learn how to pray and talk with God. And then when the temptations come, you can dismiss them in the name of Jesus. Because your, your heart is in heaven, your mind is in heaven, the temptations come to sin, you go, no, 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 no. No, I'm living way up with Jesus right now. I don't have to listen to that nonsense. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think that. But if we live down in this world, and the thoughts and the mind and the heart are down in this world, and the temptations come, and we'll just follow along with them, won't we? So we've got to stay close to the Lord. Now some people say that we should not be too heavenly minded because then we'll be of no earthly good. You heard the people say that? That's so silly. I had a family member try to tell me that. Well, you know, you can't be too heavenly minded. You won't be of any earthly good. Like what? You, you get your head stuck in the Bible and then in heaven so much that you're just some weird person wandering around the earth. Just, I don't know. I don't know what they mean by that. I think it's just an excuse to not read their Bibles and not uh, go to church and to be too absorbed in God. You know, I think that's just an excuse. It's nonsense. Like I think, because the Bible tells me to uh, put my mind and my heart in heaven. <laughs> so therefore, if I'm doing that, I will actually become a, the most earthly good. Right? The people who really live in heaven and in the things of Jesus, they will become the greatest of the earthly good. Hmm. Why? How? Because they will be living, we will be living in the attitudes of heaven. We spend our time with, with Jesus, we're going to have the attitudes of heaven that we will live out on this earth with one another. And oh, the world needs the attitudes of heaven. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I think I got all nine of them. The fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Those are the attitudes of heaven. Boy, our world desperately needs those attitudes, right? So you spend your, you get your head in heaven, you're going to live out an attitude that's going to bless people because you're going to be patient and kind and loving and forgiving, and it's, that's what the world needs. Just think of the first attitude of heaven, love. If you love God and love other people, so much so that you talk to them about Jesus, <laughs> that'll change our world. Fix your mind and your heart in heaven, and you will become the most earthly good you ever could. You ever could. So let's get it all wrapped up into Jesus. Now all this is relatively simple. Okay. Let's not look at the world. Let's look at Jesus. That's relatively simple. However, it's not so easy. I don't know if you found that one out. Why is it not easy? I think it's not easy because we live in this world. And I walk in the dirt every day over at this earth. Because when we're in heaven, no one's going to be like, hey, you have to keep your mind on things of heaven. Yeah, it's not hard. I'm right here. Don't tell me that. But when you're on earth, and the Bible's like, keep your fixes on heaven, you're like, I'm trying. But it's all dirty down here. And I'm not in heaven yet. So we have to learn how to function in this earthly world, yet live heavenly lives. 
We have to learn how to function in this earthly world, yet live heavenly lives. Heart and mind fixed on heaven. Yeah, live down here. Hmm. And the dirt and the mud, the splatters on us all the time. Easy to lose focus of heaven. Sometimes you're gazing, you're good, and then the gaze starts coming down. Right? And you look at the things of the world more than you are looking at the things of God. It's easy to do. Every day, the world's throwing dirt and mud all around. Our children, every day at school, Everything we watch and hear and listen to, there's always some tainting from the world, right? Earthly attitudes are all around us. It's easy to take on an earthly attitude. You got any earthly attitudes brewing <laughs> instead of the heavenly ones? We got to get rid of them. We're going to talk about them next week. The, the lust, the pride, the impurity, the anger, the filthy language, the lying, the selfishness. Please come back next week. It's easy to get sucked in. That's why the life for Christ must be intentional every day. Every day. Don't be sloppy with your Christian life. Pay attention. Intentionally say, I'm serving Jesus today. I'm going to love him today. I'm going to fix my mind on him today and tomorrow and the next day. It's an intentionality. I'm going to serve the Lord. Because if we get lazy and we're not intentional, then the world will start to creep in. Won't it? We've been there. And overtake the heart and the mind. So we're in a battle. We're in a battle. Let me give you a little picture, a little illustration. I hope it'll help. It kind of helps me maybe to think about how we can travel through this earth and yet keep our hearts in heaven with God. It's not a perfect illustration, but, but here it is. Jennifer and I, um, in February, will be married uh, for 25 years. Wow, I know. It's like, wow. That was fast. 25 years. And in those 25 years, we've almost never been apart, except for a few times. A few days here, maybe a week here for some traveling thing or whatever. But, but very rarely any length of time. But there was one time towards the beginning of our marriage, after the first couple of years, when I started driving truck long haul and I had to be gone. And it, was it three weeks? Is that what we were saying the other day? Three weeks. And that was the only time in our marriage. And I hated it. It was absolutely miserable for me, actually. I had to be with a trainer, and had to, we drove all across the nation in those, those three weeks training, and then I finally got to go home and be with my bride, and then she actually went with me and, and drove with me for a year. Kept the logbook. But as I was driving in that truck with this trainer, I was working. I had to work. you got to make a living. I was trying to enjoy my time. I was trying to enjoy the food I ate the sunrise I saw, the people I met, the, the beautiful nation that I was driving around in that God has given us. But I tell you, my heart was not in Missouri on I whatever interstate, right? That I was right. That's not my heart was not traveling across New Mexico. My heart was in a little town called Red Bluff with a little brown haired girl named Jennifer. My mom used to call her the little brown haired girl who stole her boy away. <laughs> My home was with her. She had my heart, and she still does, second only to Christ. But I worked, and I smiled, and I laughed the best I could. And I tried to enjoy 
everything about the situation, because there I am on the way. I might as well enjoy it and do the best that I can. But my life wasn't whole, honestly. Part of me was, was missing, because she's my life, right? And So part of me was, was missing, and I wasn't whole until I finally got to go home at last and be with her, my bride. Mm. I used to call her on the payphone. Remember those? Some of you don't remember those. In the truck stop at night, there was big banks and banks of these phones, and I used to put coins in the phone and call and talk to my bride. And then the little voice would come on, to continue this phone call, you have to put in $2, and, you know, and you're like, oh, and you put it in. It was horrible. One, day, one, day, one time a day I got to talk to my bride, but I tried the best I could. It's not a perfect illustration probably, but I think it helps me to see that as we journey through this life, we're not home. We're going through this life, we're working, we're doing the best we can, but our home is in heaven, right? With Jesus. And then we have to work and do our thing here. The heart can't be here in this world and in the earth. Our heart has to be in heaven with Jesus. Longing for him, but we still got we got a smile. We got to enjoy this place, enjoy the blessings indeed that God has given us of, of wife and husband and children and family and friends and good food and possessions and all the, the gifts that God gives us absolutely to enjoy them. But we turn them back to praise and to worship. Thank you, Lord. But we're not whole. We can't be whole until we're home in heaven with Jesus. So there'll be a little piece missing as we go through this life. And we feel that even as Christians. Though we have, it's not just a one call on a payphone at night. No, it's, it's the Spirit of God who lives and dwells in us. Thank you, Jesus. He's with us every moment of every second of every day. And we can know Him and love Him and pray with Him and talk with Him and feel Him and read the Word and be with the family of God. He's given us much. But it's not quite perfect, is it? Not until we see his glorious face and enter into his presence, enter into his glory, and cling to him and never let go for all eternity. Home at last. Home at last. Where is your heart today? Is it in the earthly stuff or is it in heaven in your longing to be with him? As you travel through this life. Jesus did say in John 17, as he's praying to the Father, he said, Father, speaking of his disciples and all of us, that they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. Okay, We don't belong to this world. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. we got work to do for Christ. But we're just passing through. So don't get you too used to it. Boy, we can settle in a little too much sometimes, can't we? We can't take you with, with us, and it's all going to burn, the Bible says. Our home is in heaven with Christ. I've given you this quote before, but I find it helpful, especially with material things, and how do I function as a Christian with the material things, and trying to balance that out. And Thomas Akimpus, in his little, little devotional, The Imitation of Christ, he says, Let the things of this world be used, but the things of heaven desired. Let the things of earth be used. Yeah, we got to use them. We got to function here. But let the things of heaven be desired. Let, let heaven be our true home where our heart is, where we truly desire to be.
Hmm. Help us, Lord, with these things. Verse 3, for you died. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It says you died. Interesting. Well, we were dead in our sins. Ah, that's not what it's talking about. It's another death. Remember we were spiritually dead? Couldn't love God. God awoke us. We said yes to Jesus and then he raised us to life. But here's the deal. Once we are raised to new life in Christ, we have to die to our sin. We have to die to the old sinful life. Now before, when we were dead to God, we were alive to sin. But then when we were raised to new life and we're alive to God, now we have to die to sin. Makes sense, right? First Peter, let me read to you First Peter 2, 24. Put that for your notes, First Peter 2.24. He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins, so we could die also to sin with his grace, with his power, and live for him for righteousness. There's a problem, though, because sometimes, as a Christian, we try to live a little bit alive to some sin and alive to God. People want their cake and eat it, too. Right? I want my sin, and I want Jesus. I want eternal life, and then live any way I want. And churches who preach that, or at least allow that, I bet they're pretty popular. But if you keep coming to church and they're like, hey, stop your sinning, you either do it or you leave, probably, you know? Uh, but the Bible teaches us you can't have both. You must die to the sin and live for Jesus, or you die to Jesus and live for your sin. And I don't recommend that one. Right? That's horrible. Don't do that. Now, of course, God is patient with us because we struggle in the midst of that sometimes. And the sin comes popping up into our life. That's why, why Paul tells this church as he's writing to these Christians in Colossae. There, look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore. He's talking to the Christians who have died already to their sin. But then he says, well, put to death. you got some stuff lingering. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the sexual immorality, impurity, lust, greed, so forth. So these things can kind of linger and crop their little heads up, and we have to make sure they die. And now we live for Jesus. Have you ever heard somebody say, you're dead to me? I mean, that's just horrible. If you really think about what that means, somebody cuts a person out of their life and say, you are dead to me. I will never li listen to you. I will never talk to you. I will never acknowledge you. If you call my phone, I'll block it. I will reject anything and everything that you are. Wow. People do that sometimes. Just dead to me. You can speak. I'll never reply. That's how we have to be with sin. We have to die. Sin, you are dead to me. I reject you completely. I block your call when it comes, and I will not acknowledge you. Now I live for Jesus. We have to die to sin and live for Christ. Have you died to your sin? Is it coming back, creeping in, or did you never let go of it all to begin with? Where are you at this morning? Verse 3, For you died and your life is now hidden 
with Christ in God. Think about that. This is a little verse I have highlighted and I have pondered for years, and I don't think I'll be able to plumb the depths of it this morning, but it's pretty amazing. You died, and your life is hidden with Jesus in God. Now, what does that mean? Well, maybe it means something like we're supposed to be all wrapped up with Jesus and tucked away into God for safekeeping, maybe. I don't know. It's awesome. It's about a life with Christ and a life with God in a close and intimate fellowship. It's like we're, we're hidden away, like hidden away for safekeeping with God right there with Jesus. I don't understand all that. I think God's got us, though, is what it's saying. He's got us. And then when we're wrapped up in Jesus, we get to be hidden into the happiness of God, into the love of God, into the eternal life of God. Now, some people get all weird about some of these types of things, and you've got all kinds of religions and strange things where we become God, you know, that some of the New Age kind of stuff, I think, and it comes from different religions and stuff, where there's the universe, there's no real God, but then we die, we become part of the universe and all kinds of, where we, you can ascend and become God or like God. That's not what we're talking about. But somehow there's a connection of relationship. And I think the best I can do is in John chapter 17, starting in verse 21. If you want to jot that down, you can look it up later, John 17, 21. But Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, that he was praying for us, actually, all who would believe in the message of the apostles. And he prayed that they that we would be one. Hmm. Now, if we're one, it means we're not like becoming one with each other in some strange, you know, metaphysical way or something. No, it means we're one and we're unified in relationship. We believe the same thing, the word of God, and we're one in our faith, in our commitment to Christ, and we function together for the good of Jesus. Right? That's what it means to be one. But then Jesus prays on and he says, uh, Father, that I am in you, so Jesus is in the Father, and the Father, he said, was in him, and that we, the church, were in them. So there's this connection of relationship. That Jesus and the Father are perfectly one, but he takes us in as his children. Maybe like the family unit. My little family, it's a unit, right? It's our little family, and we're connected in relationship and love, but we are separate from other families, so with God, we're all one family together, functioning within God, within Christ. Go home and meditate on that one. Christian meditation, not home, but praying, thinking, going over it, asking God, what does this mean? Pondering it. Verse 4, And when Christ, who is your life, appears, when Christ, who is your what? Your life. <laughs> when Jesus, who is your life, when he appears, when he returns, you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is supposed to be our life. Our everything. Our all in all, our portion and our cup. Is Jesus your life today? Is he everything to you? Or do the things of the world matter a little more than he does? Remember the beginning of Colossians in chapter 1. Who made the universe? Who made us? Jesus. Who sustains everything, gives us life, and keeps our life? Jesus. Who died for our sins, rose from the grave, and gives us life everlasting? 
Jesus. He's life. He's everything. Are we living like that? Are we living like the world is our life? We want to be so caught up into Christ and His commandments and His love and His ways that He becomes our hope and our joy and our peace and our today and our tomorrow and our eternity. We want to make sure that Jesus is everything to us. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he returns, then you also will it, uh, appear with him in glory. Right? Home at last, <laughs> when Jesus comes back. Home at last. When Jesus returns to take his church, our traveling of this world will be over. Our desert wanderings will cease. The tests and the trials will be over, home at last. No more battles will lay the sword down. No more devil, no more temptations, no more death, no more pain, no more sadness. Jesus will make all things new. And if Christ has held your heart in heaven throughout your life's long journey, and you have so yearned to be with Him when He appears... You also will appear with him in his eternal glory. And everything will be perfect, right? Everything will finally be perfect. When Jesus, our Lord and Master, when he first came to us in grace and truth, and he walked this earth and he gave his life for our sins, when he did that, he had all the fullness of deity in bodily form, totally God. Walking around on earth, giving his life for us. But one thing he left in heaven, he left his glory behind. Because if he came in his glory, we'd all fall over dead. We couldn't handle it. Too much. But when our master, when our life returns, he will not leave his glory behind. He will come in all the fullness of the glory and splendor of God. And we will be with him forever. One last passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks of this very day. Jot this down for your notes. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself, our life, will come down from heaven. With a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the angels are going to be blowing trumpets and announcing the arrival of the king. And the dead in Christ will rise first. All those who have died, who have loved Christ, will have their resurrection at that time. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever, forever. Home at last. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. When Jesus returns, 
Will you drop to your knees and say, oh, my life has arrived. <laughs> my hope is here. My everything. Home at last. Here we go. Are you ready for the appearing of Christ? Or maybe you think, oh, I'm not sure I'm ready for Jesus to show up yet. Because maybe you haven't died to your sin fully and you're still dabbling in it. So maybe it's time to die to your sin. Get your mind and your heart off the earthly things and put it in heaven and make Jesus your everything. As we go to prayer and the breaking of bread and the remembering of the body and blood of Jesus. Let us examine our hearts and let us examine our lives. Are we ready for the appearing of Jesus? You need to clean something up in your life? Well, let's do it. Why wait? Lord Jesus, thank you for four little verses that are truly glorious. Oh, I pray we go home and read them and read them over and over again. And when we do, we praise you and worship you, Lord. And they would so desire to get our hearts and minds out of the dirt and into heaven, right next to you and the Father on the throne. Forgive us, Lord, for being a little too worldly and earthly sometimes. Help us to die to our sin and live for Jesus. Thank you for the truth that we are hidden away in God with Christ. All wrapped up together, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your safekeeping. Lord, thank you that you will return one day. Oh, might it be soon, Lord. But yet I say that, and how many are not ready? Whom we love, whom we know, whom we don't know. So I know every day you delay is grace and mercy that somebody might come to faith. Oh Lord, help us to live like you would return at any moment. So help us as we travel through this world to have our heart in heaven with a Savior who loves us. Let us be ready to see you crack the sky and come and take us. Ready for the glory of Jesus one day. One day, Lord. So help us to be the people that you want us to be. In Christ we pray. Amen.